I have always been taken by the last words of people. So, for example, uh, my favorite classical music composer, Gustav Mahler, uh, it was said that when he was dying, he was on his deathbed, and he was actually uh, conducting an imaginary orchestra and then yelled out the word Mozart uh, right before he died. Or the abolitionist and activist Harriet Tubman uh, was said to be singing Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, uh, the moment she died. Or maybe you've heard about our second president, John Adams. Uh, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson had sort of a rivalry for most of their public career. And Adams died on the 4th of July, and his last words were, Jefferson lives. What he didn't know at the time is that Jefferson also died on the very same day, uh, the 4th of July. Well, our scripture reading for this morning provides for us the last words of Jesus, but they were not on his deathbed. They were after his resurrection and just before he ascended to the right hand of God. They were his last words to the 11 apostles. Now, before we dig into these words, let's consider their story for a moment. In a span of about 40 days, they had witnessed the traumatic experience of their friend and their leader being executed by the Roman government. Then, while they were in the middle of this trauma and grief, three days later, they laid eyes on the resurrected Jesus. For 40 days, he continued to teach them about the nature of the kingdom of God. And then Jesus essentially shut them down. He gave them a stay at home, or more accurately, a stay in Jerusalem order. And then he comes to them again and tells them that they are going to receive this incredible power from on high. He has another dialogue with them. We'll get to that in just a moment. And then he vanishes into the clouds. Now, can you imagine their level of anxiety? Maybe we can't quite imagine their type of anxiety, but let's just get it out there. We have all had our moments over the last few months of anxiety. I was uh, in a group with, a virtual group with a pastor friend of mine, and he was just describing uh, what it was like this past week to uh, do a funeral for a, a young child and at the same time uh, open their sanctuary for the service because they're allowed to, they're in another part of the state. And he described the, not only the, just the heaviness of the grief, but the weight of the anxiety and the stress of trying to open a facility safely in such a difficult moment. I could just feel his anxiety. I could feel uh, the weight that he was carrying through that Zoom conversation. On some levels, we are all having to bring our anxiety to the cross, aren't we? And release it into the hands of Jesus. I can only imagine the roller coaster that the disciples had to be feeling over those 40 days from resurrection to ascension. And as we consider now the last words of Jesus, it would be another moment for them. And so what I want us to do as we dig in is I want to look at the vision of Jesus. And I want to look at two impediments to our participation in that vision. And then I want us to look at a non-negotiable. Let's talk about his vision. Verse 8 lays out Jesus' grand vision. He told his disciples, you... You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, often when we think of this passage from Acts 1-8, we think about it in a Western way, with sort of linear thinking, a concentric circle of mission, with uh, Jerusalem being our home, and then Judea maybe being our state, and then Samaria being our nation, and then uh, the ends of the earth being all the world. But I don't think that is what Jesus was doing. That seems more like a domino strategy. You know, reach close, and then when you do that, then reach farther, then farther, then farther. I believe that Jesus was basically saying to them, go, just go, go into all the world. You see, the gospel of Jesus and the witness of the disciples didn't really roll in sort of a neat Western linear way. As we will look at next week, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, and they were in Jerusalem, and those who were in Jerusalem uh, were there who spoke different languages. They were there for a, a feast, and then they went all over, and as they went all over, they took the gospel with them. Uh, or uh, consider the story of Philip the Evangelist. He witnessed to an Ethiopian, then he baptized the guy, and then the Spirit just simply took Philip away, and immediately the next thing he knew, and that we know from Scripture at least, is that he was preaching the gospel in another town. So perhaps the best way to see the strategy behind the vision of Jesus is in Acts 8.4, where it says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. The big vision of Jesus is for his disciples to go as the Spirit leads them and to share Jesus anywhere all the time. I mean, to share Jesus anywhere, all the time. You know, we spent the last few months hearing on the news about how this virus, this disease, has just taken disease and death, and it's spread it all over the globe. Let's make sure that we lay beside that reality, the good news, that the love of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit and carried by the disciples of Jesus working through his church, is a contagious message that has given life, say it with me, it has given life all over the globe, and it continues to, and it will continue to spread all over the globe until the Lord returns again. We still have work to do. There's still more people and more generations to reach but the Lord's vision is being realized one heart at a time, everywhere, any time. And so I believe the, the strategy behind the big vision of Jesus is to share Jesus wherever you go, all the time. A key takeaway here for us this morning is his last words should be our first priority. His last words to the disciple should be our first priority, that we are to go and we are to be the witnesses of Jesus. Now, let's look at two impediments to our participation in his mission. Every story has that moment of, of tension when you wonder if things are going to work out. Uh, so, for example, if you were a fan of the old uh, Rocky movies, when, when Rocky was in the ring with Apollo Creed, uh, you wondered if it was going to work out for Rocky. Or uh, if you're a, a baseball fan, 
uh, like I am as the Nats were in the playoffs and this year and as they continued to face uh, elimination games and they were behind in elimination games, you wondered if it was going to work out. And of course we know it did. They're 2019 World Series champions, as you might have heard somewhere. Or that great uh, uh, episode in our nation's space his history of Apollo 13 uh, as it was coming down and as it encountered all sorts of trouble. People didn't think they were going to make it home but they did. It worked out. Well, regrettably, we don't always live into and up to this grand vision of Jesus everywhere, anytime strategy. And there are times when you consider the follies of humankind and the church that you just wonder if, if we're going to get the job done. You kind of just sort of feel this big tension in this great story and this grand narrative. Well, our text actually shows us two categories of impediments that keep us from stepping into the mission of God. Verse 6 has them asking Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore your kingdom to Israel? Are you going to restore your kingdom to Israel? And one of the things that we see here is the first impediment to making his last words our first priority is control. It's control. They asked him, when? When are you going to bring in your kingdom? Jesus said, my paraphrase, none of your business, or that's above your pay grade. It's on a need-to-know basis. You see, if they knew when, they could then manage or control their agenda. If they knew when God was going to move and God was going to work, to bring redemption to the entire world, they could manage the agenda. How many times over the last few months have I wanted to reach for control over COVID-19? I'm going to tell you many, many times. When my mask is pulling on my ears and fogging up my glasses when I'm walking the dog, I want to know, Lord, when is this thing going to be over? When I have washed my hands until they are raw, I ask, when, Lord, when? When I watch another round of our national leaders arguing over basic health protocols and politicizing a deadly disease, I say, when, God, when is this thing going to be over? When I have to tell a precious family that I can't shake their hands or give them a hug as they bury the matriarch of their family, I ask, when, God, when? Is this going to be over? You see, if I know when, I have some control over my life. I don't have to walk day by day in utter submission and trust. Lord knows we want this virus gone. But friends, only God knows when it will be gone. Until then, we have to lean in and we have to walk daily and we have to trust and we have to obey. In the same way, we don't know when the Lord is going to bring his kingdom to completion. Just as Jesus was ascended to the Father, we don't know when he's going to come back. And we are to live with the expectation that he could return any day now. And we should do his work as if he were going to come before I finish this sermon today. But we don't really know. And so we're beckoned to live by faith every day as if it were our last day on earth. And we are to make plans to share the gospel around the world 
as if the Lord was waiting for that one person. As if the Lord was waiting for that one person in Lisbon or London or Libya to hear before he decides to come back. You see, our lack of control should lead us to an abundance of faith. Our lack of control over our lives, our lack of control over the when or the what or the how, should lead us to have an abundance of faith and say, Lord, we don't know when, but we know, oh God, that we can trust you to walk with us through this time. Now, the second impediment is what we would call nationalism. We've heard a lot about nationalism over the last few years, although it's been with us since the beginning of our country. It's been with other countries since uh, the beginning of the formation of countries. And we see it here in the heart of the disciples. When they, when they asked, is it now that you're going to restore your kingdom? They said, to Israel. And what they did here is they showed their nationalistic impulses. Jesus had been teaching them about the all-encompassing nature of the kingdom of God. They saw him reach out to Gentiles right and left during his ministry. But deep down, they had not grasped the full scope of his heart. Ajith Fernando, a New Testament scholar, wrote, According to the New Testament, there is no room in the Christian life for parochialism or nationalism, racism, and prejudice. What we see in Acts 1 is a parochialism of such heightened interest in one's own affairs that there is relatively no interest in the affairs of others. Jesus' answer was to develop a mission orientation, a reminder to us that our responsibility does not stop until the gospel is reached to the ends of the earth. As Christians, we are citizens, first and foremost, of the kingdom of God, which is a massive, multinational, global movement of the love and the mercy of Jesus. While we love our country, and while we honor our leaders, and while we enjoy our cultural distinctives and we cherish our freedoms, we submit all of these feelings and attitudes to the global kingdom of God. See, when we raise nationalistic passions above the movement of King Jesus, we fail miserably in our mission and we grieve our Lord. There is a great deal of difference between patriotism and nationalism. Patriotism is a love of one's country. Nationalism takes it to an extreme and is usually against other people. Well, Jesus is so clear to the to, to their nationalistic impulse, he says, listen, I want you to go into all the world. Don't have a narrow vision. Go into all the world. And they did. They did. Thank God they didn't give into their nationalistic impulses or our foremothers and fathers may have never heard the gospel. Have you thought about that? Key takeaway here. We are the beneficiaries of their obedience to his global vision. Therefore, to be obedient, we have to resist the desire for control and the tendency to limit the scope of the gospel. So in this passage, in these last words, we see his grand vision laid out to take the gospel into all the world. We see the tension in our push for control and our limited vision. So what is this non 
negotiable. How does this come into our hearts today, this great passage of the ascension of Jesus? What's the so what here in this beautiful story? And that is the non-negotiable for ministry. The non-negotiable for ministry in our church and your personal ministry in the world around you is the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them in so many words to go and make disciples all over the world. But the first command was to wait. To wait for the power of the Spirit. He said, go, but first wait. Now, next week, our entire teaching time is going to be on the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian and the life of the church. So let me just sort of summarize uh, and give you a taste of, of where we're going. And here's a thought that both comforts and confronts me. Now, what do I mean? Uh, again, uh, Fernando, the scholar who wrote uh, the application commentary, said, my paraphrase, it is really easy for us me, you, other churches, to get distracted and to find security in other things that serve as substitutes to the power of the Spirit. Excellent programming, the best technology and techniques, facilities, location, on and on. Many people will come to churches attracted by the comprehensive program. They'll, be, they'll come to churches because they want a weekly religious dose and in our entertainment-oriented culture, a church that provides entertaining program that will attract people like a good sporting event or a concert. He continues to say, but Christian ministry is ministry in the Spirit. Without the Spirit's power, our excellent programs are ultimately futile. So wherever we are and whatever we do for God, our great desire should be filled with God's Spirit so that our work will spring from His resulting power. This is the great non-negotiable, and this confronts us. Again, we like to control, don't we? If we design the plan and the program, then we can control it. But the grand vision of Jesus is to share his love with the whole world. It is way too big for our thinking and way too big for our control and our plans. We need the Spirit's thinking, the Spirit's power flowing through us and out into the world. And this confronts us. We have seen over the past 10 weeks that events like we are going through, they can upend the best of plans and the best of strategies, can't they? Oh, to be sure, anything that we have planned as a church, if it was blessed by the Spirit, then we know that God will see it through. If it was not, then we want God to put it on the chopping block and get rid of it. I mean, this is a time when many churches are rethinking, okay, Lord, was this really what you wanted us to be doing? Lord, now how do we lift it all up to you and ask you, Lord, what do you want to keep from this? And Lord, what do we need to let sift away? We only want to engage what the Spirit will empower or like I say to our, our staff team all the time, uh, as a ministry team, we can raise the sails, but it's the Spirit that gives the power and the wind to fill the sails and enable the ministry to move forward. This also comforts us. How does it comfort us? A key takeaway here is God will always equip us and empower us through the Holy Spirit to do 
that which he calls us to do. In other words, if the Spirit is required, then the Spirit will be given. And we don't have to operate under our own power. God will equip and empower us. Let me give you a, a great example. Uh, we've been saying over the last several weeks that a few weeks ago, our Servant Leadership Council authorized the removal of our pews from the sanctuary uh, so that we can place seats uh, safely whenever we're able to return, but also so that we can use our largest and safest room uh, for the community, to bless the community with things like food distribution or uh, testing for the virus or blood drives or, or uh, various other ways. We have been uh, calling ministry partners. Brian has been shaking the trees saying, hey, we've got this room here. Can you use it for uh, your mission, for your organization? And all of them have been very polite and they have said, hey, you know, um, uh, not yet, but thank you. We'll keep it in mind. Um, they're still trying to scramble to get their feet under them as organizations. Uh, but this past week, just a few days ago, uh, I received an email from someone that I'd met with uh, a couple years ago. Brian and I had met with, and he said, hey, listen, um, I'm part of a uh, group that relates to a, a nonprofit called Blessings of Hope. They are bringing a truck on Friday. Uh, to Alexandria to drop off pallets of food? Is there any way your church can be a distribution point? And uh, we've got a, a couple of, of pictures uh, for you to see and just of, of pallets of food, you know, hundreds of pounds of food being given away here in Alexandria. Now, isn't that the Spirit? Isn't that what the Spirit does? And that's how God wants to operate in your life. You know, if you try to engage the Christian life without leaning into and availing yourself of the power of the Holy Spirit, you're just going to be sort of pushing a rock uphill. And it's the same way with us as a church. But when the Spirit moves and the Spirit empowers, all sorts of things just begin to happen for the glory of God and the exaltation of of Jesus. You know, one of the things we'll talk about next week is that's, that's one of the roles of the Spirit is to lift high and exalt the name of Jesus. Well, our text ends with Jesus ascending to the Father. Our text says he was taken up before their very eyes, but he was not the only one taken. The apostles were taken, not physically up with Jesus, but we could say they were taken or maybe captured by his incredible vision to reach the world. And what would happen next in their story? I'll save that for next week. For now, let us commit ourselves to the grand vision of Jesus. Let's make his last words our first priority to share the gospel anywhere all over the world at any time. Let us resist trying to control or limit his grand vision in any way. And let's open our lives to the power of the Holy Spirit and then just absolutely buckle up and hang on because the Spirit is going to take us for the ride and the adventure of our lives. Let's allow our hearts and minds to be taken by him. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do so much thank you for this grand vision 
that you have given us as your disciples. Lord, on this day, we remember that you were taken up to be with the Father and that you intercede on our behalf at the right hand of the Father. And Lord, we on this day remember the last words to be your witnesses all over the world. So Lord, I pray that you would give us all that we need in our hearts to make your last word the first priority in our lives. Lord, we know that when we allow our lives to be captured by your great purpose and your great vision, Lord, that you bring lift to us, that you bring joy to us, Lord, that you give us this sense of purpose and meaning. And Lord, we thrive when we are in service to you. And so, Lord, I pray for each person here today. Lord, help us to be captured and taken by your vision. Lord, I ask that you would also hear the, uh, just the confessions of our heart. Lord, um, when we try to control your work, Lord, when we try to limit your vision, Lord, let's lift those prayers to you and ask you to forgive us. And Lord, help us by your grace to, to, to resist trying to control or limit what you do. And Lord, we pray above all things that as you work your spirit in us, that you would receive honor and glory. We love you, God. We're excited to be on mission for you. We're excited and we thank you for including us in your vision and your great story in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.